I am so excited to bring you this episode on mental health stigma with Dr. Kathleen Young, an amazing psychiatrist, and I think we have a really dynamic discussion about stigma and mental health and all different kinds of oppression and how things go from being stigmatized to being less stigmatized, like what that process is like. So I think you're really going to enjoy this. We recorded it as a Facebook Live. Um, So I think you'll love that. And I also wanted to hop in here before the episode to let you know about my advanced somatic techniques workshop. This workshop is for coaches. It's for therapists and healers. If you want to add some advanced somatic techniques to your repertoire of what you do with clients, I think you're going to love the workshop. So I will put the link for that in the show notes. Okay. Take Enjoy the episode. Bye. Welcome to the Sacred Goals Podcast, where you'll learn how to hit your sacred goal by destroying patriarchy and trauma-related neural pathways in your brain. These techniques have helped my clients double their income, finally fall in love, and easily land their dream job. Let's go. Thank Kathleen is coming on. Yay. Hi. Hi. How are you? I'm good. I always like I have this weird phone holder thing. <laughs> I'm always like it's such a weird angle, but anyway, we're here. I'm good. How are you? Well, you missed the drama of me starting the live and then my like phone tripod just like fell off my desk. So, whoever has been watching from the beginning, it's been an adventure. <laughs> I love it. So here we are. Here we are. Yeah. So um, I was saying we're going to talk about mental health, diagnoses, the stigma around it, pharmaceuticals, the decision-making process, anxiety, all, all the things. So yeah. why don't you start by just introducing yourself and sharing your background a little bit? Sure. I I'm Kathleen Young. I am a psychiatrist, so I'm Dr. Kathleen Young, I guess. Um, and that, I guess, I am. <laughs> so, um, yes. I'm a psychiatrist. I see kids, I see adults, I see it all. And for those of you who may not know, um, a, a psychiatrist can prescribe medication and also see people for, all, can do therapy, medication, all of it. Um, I think oftentimes, um, <clears throat> that's confusing. So I just wanted to clarify right. that for people watching. So, you know, we're really sort of trained in, um, I think, you know, all mental health providers can make diagnoses. I think that physicians are trained to do it in a slightly different way. And so we do tend to sort of focus on diagnosis and treatment planning. And, and part of that sometimes is medication. I'm also a life coach. So I, right now, um, 
I say right now, because maybe something's in the works. I coach parents, I probably always do this, but I coach parents of kids who have um, mental illness of some sort or struggle with their mental health. And it doesn't have to be kids who are on medication, but parents of kids who are struggling. Um, And that's who I am. And I saw Bryn posted about um, her anxiety and thoughts about, you know, treatment. And we had a really fun dialogue offline. Maybe it wasn't so fun, but we had a dialogue <laughs> offline. And it really it was de- satisfying. Yeah, we decided that maybe some other people out there could benefit from being a part of this conversation that we were having. So here we are. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't have a particular plan. I just thought it would be fun to talk about this and important to talk about this because for me, so I was watching, I I think I told you about this in our offline chats, Mm -hmm. um, Kathleen, but I was watching Taylor Tomlinson's most recent stand-up special which the name is escaping me right now, but she talks about being diagnosed as bipolar and that whole process and her experience with medication. And she does it in this, you know, it's comedy. So she's like making jokes and making it funny, but also saying that her medication helps her and she's Mm -hmm. happy (laughs) to have the diagnosis, you know, like she's happy that she did that. And it, felt actually kind of revolutionary to me to have someone speak so openly about their diagnosis whereas I think I think a lot of people don't even want to go there right they don't even want to see a psychiatrist because they're scared of that and I certainly don't see a lot of people I I, I've seen people talk about like uh, being on pharmaceuticals for like anxiety, but I've actually never, I don't know. It's like, there's like somehow anxiety that's super stigmatized. Yeah. I think that, um, there's so much I could say. I don't even really know where to begin. So let's just begin. Yeah. You know, this is really, um, something I've been thinking about and struggling with a lot recently is this idea that like, People don't want to open up about these things because they're worried about the feedback they're going to receive from other people. And, um, you know, and, and it's true. There is a stigma with mental health. I mean, you know, in terms of mental illness, there's a big stigma. People make jokes about it a lot, you know, like, oh, that person's bipolar or whatever. And so, and don't realize how much even that really continues to perpetuate the stigma of mental illness. And so, you know, the reason why I I wrestle with this is because um, there is a real stigma. People, that is real. And so the people who are reluctant to talk about their mental health, the parents that I coach who are reluctant to join a group with other parents and talk about, you know, because a lot of the parents I coach in my group are local to where I am, you know, they may or may not be somehow have crossed paths with my practice or whatever. And so they're local. So they're like, I might know somebody in this group. Maybe my kid goes to school with, you know, someone else. So I think that um, the stigma is real. And so people are anxious about 
about putting it out there because they don't want to be labeled. They don't want someone to go back to their kid's school and say, oh, you know, that kid is on medication or whatever, because people do have all these negative thoughts about mental illness and medication. As far as we have come, and I will acknowledge that we've come a long way in terms of people being able to talk about it, but we still have an incredible stigma. But by not talking about it, we're going to just have more stigma. Like it's not going anywhere if people aren't able to talk about it. And so what do you do? Like I can talk about this blue in the face, but like that doesn't change the minds of like everybody else. So I love these opportunities to come and talk about this, you know, like it's not going to change until people can go first and talk about it. And, yeah, and, and it was, yeah, I think it was super brave of Taylor to, to do that, to out herself mm -hmm. on stage. And, and I'm sure, like, I'm not going to read the comments on her YouTube videos. I'm sure there's horrible things being said and super supportive. And I'm sure she's getting DMs of people being like, me too, thank fucking God you said that. Like, I yeah. I'm sure she's getting both. But yeah, yeah I think it is. It's funny, I was listening to Carl Lowenthal's podcast, and it was about, oh, it was about kind of the invisible workload of women. Oh, I loved this, that podcast. <laughs> yeah, well, there's the one with Susan Hyatt, right, that was yes. amazing. Uh -huh. And then this one was the follow-up to the one with Susan Hyatt that was saying, if you're a white woman and you're, you send your kid to school without a lunch because the dad is supposed yeah. to do it and he doesn't show up, there's not going to be a huge consequence. And, and there was a guest on her show that was saying that it wasn't about bringing a lunch. It was another relatively minor issue, but they had, the school had called child services and it mm -hmm. was a woman of color, color, mm -hmm. kid, you know? And so, mm -hmm. um, like it, it, there's a risk, right? And, and one thing that I took away from the podcast that I thought was really interesting that I think applies to mental health diagnosis, disclosure, or whatever you want to call it, is like, it, what's your risk tolerance? And you mm -hmm. get to choose, right? If you're a parent of a kid of, who has a diagnosis, we're not saying you should tell yes. everyone. You yeah. should um, out your kid. And if you have a diagnosis, you get to choose. There is a risk if you mm -hmm. out yourself and some people mm -hmm. are going to judge you for it and some people are going to be helped by it and feel more connected to you because of it. Um, but it is by, you know, I, I think we see this in kind of every area. It's the, you know, it's like Ellen kind of did it for gay people and lesbians yes. where she outed herself on a show and then she was fired and or the show was canceled and she didn't work for years yeah and there was like bombs threat like there was a yes. bomb threat on the set of her show the week she was coming out and saying i'm gay and it was a risk it was a it was a risk to her physical safety as well as her you know, career and, and on all these levels. And she 
she was the one or, you know, she's not the only one that there are many people who've taken risks and changed things for the queer community. But it's just, she's one example of someone stepping forward and saying, I'm going to take this risk. And right. that was a part of changing the whole the landscape. Yeah. And I think that maybe that's really like, and, and I've been sort of toying around with that in my own head in terms of like, how do I, how can I um, help that, help this process? Um, and sometimes I'm like, I don't know, like, what am I going to do? But I think, I think that, um, cause I'm just one person, but I think obviously we all, we all like, that's how it always starts. And, you know, I think that that's, that's where we are. And, um, and I think people are understandably cautious about saying things out loud and, and about their kids, right? I mean, I think um, sometimes they don't want to, like, reveal. It's like their, their kids' personal business. They don't necessarily want to put it on Facebook. But at the same time, like, I think, I think, you know, the fallout from that, the result from that is that also then your kids feel like there's something really wrong with them that nobody wants to talk about. And so that's the other risk, right? So there's the risk of like, when you say it out loud, what will the backlash be? And then there's the risk of like, if you don't say it out loud, what is the result of What's that? What's the and message? So, yeah. So it's but so I think it is, I think it is such a parallel to coming out of the closet. Where it's like, I, I guess this is my philosophy and, you know, some people will maybe not agree, but for me with a kid that is gay or trans or, or whatever, pansexual, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, like I would want the kid to decide when they, ca they came mm -hmm. out. If they want to come out super young to support them. Mm -hmm. And if they don't want to tell anybody, if they just want to tell mom and dad and have this be something that's just in the family or, you know, obviously some kids don't feel comfortable telling their parents, right? Mm -hmm. And so they just are with it alone often. But like, I would never want to force a kid to come out of the closet if, if they didn't want to, if they weren't ready. Yeah. And I feel like maybe, you know, maybe that can be applied to being on medication or having a diagnosis to say to the kid, what do you want? Do you want to tell your friends that you see a psychiatrist and that you're on medication or do you not? Do you want to keep that private? Yeah. And to let that, them decide when and who, to whom. And maybe you want to tell your best friend, but you don't want to tell the whole class and like to. Yeah. And I find with mental health, the kids, a lot of the kids don't care as much as like their parents do. Right. The stigma is lower. Whether people know. Yeah. About whether people know. And they get kind of frustrated with their parents around that. Not all, but many. So it's a, it's a tough issue. And I, I think, so there's that part, like, are we even talking about having a diagnosis in the first place? And then it's like, um, you know, the, this idea of medication is so charged for people yes. and you know i've seen this and, oh i know what i was going to add I, this is like where my brain is um 
you know, welcome to being in your late 40s, right? Is like, my, like, if I don't, I, I, I came to my computer this morning to check and see if, like, my assistant had updated my schedule. I had a very, like, clear idea. I sat in my computer and I was like, wait, what was I going to do? And I literally could not remember. This is what happened. Anyway, so back on topic. Um, and I think even as mental health providers, I don't, I don't think we see mental illness as a bad thing, but there is a way in which we also participate in the stigma of mental illness. There's a way in which we enable it too. And yeah. I think it's time for like everyone to get honest about that. Um, you know, especially now that like so many kids in particular are struggling with their mental health. I think that's really time to get honest about why we um, are so uncomfortable with it. It's like an everyday thing. One of my friends from high, or high school, my friends from like elementary school, <laughs> so someone I've known like my whole life, she posted um, online, she, she writes a blog, but she has a son who just had a kidney transplant because he, he had a, um, a rare like kidney cancer when he was young and had, um, I guess he had a kidney removed. Anyway, so um, fast forward to now he's a teenager and he had a kidney, a recent kidney transplant. And she was saying that like, um, that um, anyway, people, there was an outpouring of support. Can we drive your other kid? Can, what, what, do you need food? Like all the stuff while they were going through this recovery. And she wrote this blog about that, like how wonderful that was. But like she said, like, you know, the parents who are struggling with, kids who have mental illness, who are depressed or whatever, they need meals and rides and like all of the support too. And where is that? You know, like yeah. they aren't necessarily feeling comfortable enough to ask you, but like we need to support like parents. It's not just when there's like a physical thing going on, like those parents need help. And she said that, you know, when she's talking about this, that, that like people say they can relate more to her than having a kid like who has a child with a rare kidney cancer than they can to a parent who has a kid with, who's depressed. And I was like, wow, like that is really shocking. Yeah. Shocking. When depression is it, so it, much it more is, common. Right. It's so much more common. <laughs> it isn't and isn't, right? I think this is part of the stigma that we're talking about and the hush hush and the don't talk about it and it's really bad if your kid has depression and it means you're a bad parent and all of the yeah the stuff one thing i would say is so i my training is in core energetics which is like body centered but we do talk about childhood and we mm -hmm. do you know work with trauma and anxiety and stuff but not you know obviously i'm not a psychiatrist and we don't diagnose at mm -hmm. all but we had one class on um, the DSM and we had one class on borderline and the class, the purpose of the classes for us was to say like, who are the clients who might not be a fit for core energetics? Cause it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's not for someone who, um, at least in my experience, if they're just at the start of their personal development journey or their mental health journey, it's a little bit too aggressive. <laughs> <Or> like, <laughs> so, so the purpose of the classes was to kind of say like, these are the clients that might need another support or 
you know, I have had clients where they're working with a psychiatrist and they're working with me and we're working kind of in tandem, but I'm not, mm-hmm. alone. I'm not the only mm-hmm. provider. Um, but one thing that was interesting, I was um, like being an assistant to the class this year, to the class on borderline. And the thing that was interesting was the, the, the way it was presented, it was only the negative qualities like Mm -hmm. it it really focuses and the the cool thing about core energetics and the other um we have like five defenses that we learn and we we kind of die it's not a diagnosis but we kind of see where our clients fit and, and and what would be helpful and with with the defenses that we learn we learn the gifts we learn the drawbacks we learn the the challenges that someone with, you know, the merging defense or, or the uh, leaving defense, people who dissociate quite easily. But we also learn what are the gifts of those mm-hmm. folks? Mm-hmm. And to really help, you know, I mean, to obviously mm-hmm. help with the healing, but to help with the gifts. And it's just, it just felt so like such a contrast mm-hmm. to the DSM where it's like, you don't talk about the gifts. <laughs> there right. Is, yeah. There, there is no, like, these are the things that these people are really good at. Yeah. Not I me. mean, I think that, the, so the DSM for sure does not. But I, right. think that, right. I think that, though, we are, at least to some extent, I mean, I haven't been in, like, every training program in the U.S., but, like, at least places where I have trained, um, there is a way in which we do talk about people's strengths. And I... Yeah like to talk about that um especially when i like when i'm when i'm seeing as a psychiatrist when i'm seeing a patient or like a child or an adolescent when i have a parent meeting first and i always ask the parents you know like what does your kid like to do what do they do well like i'd like to make sure that that there is some talk about that because you're right like i think it can get so caught in this like what's wrong space um, which is kind of where I'm feeling a little uncomfortable these days. And when I say like, like stay tuned, I'm trying to figure out how to like move, shift away from this, like, um, this, like you are broken and your kids are broken and like, let's figure out what to do. And more like, it's not broken. Like you can have these diagnoses and still have like a wonderful, amazing life. Like, let's talk about that in our amazing family. Or does it mean that like all hope is lost now and I think you're right. I think more focus on strengths would be helpful in that way. Yeah, like to have like <laughs> part two of the DSM. What does the DSM stand for? Just the, I don't remember. Right the now. Diagnostic and Statistical Manual. <laughs> right. So Mental this is a book. Just yeah. anyone watching who you're, not, if you're not in this world, it's the book that has all the different yeah. diagnoses. Right for for psych for mental health, mental illness. Yeah. yeah. Um. But it's like, we need like the part two of the book. (laughs) That's like, these are all the gifts of like, folks with borderline and folks with. Yeah. um, Yeah. Each of them. I know all the names are changing. So I'm like, is it still? But I do agree. I think that I do think it's easy to get caught in like what's wrong. And I get that. I mean, I think that's our natural 
like that's human. what the brain does yeah yeah so be like this is a problem we have to make it better and so i think that that's where it comes from and yeah so, yeah. yeah and we can too right even in core energetics we learn both but we can focus on the negative and sometimes i i will find myself with a particular client focusing on the challenge and I have to remind myself to be like what's the gift here and how do we build that yeah as well as doing the healing work that needs to happen it's not I think I'm really an and both mm -hmm. person right because I also take issue with like spiritual bypassing and when people are like I have no shadow I have no talent I'm just <laughs> focusing on the like the light and the goodness and that's a, another thing that I don't think is super productive in terms yeah. of growth, but to have a balance of both. Yeah, to see that there are ways. And I think that, like, I like to focus on that, too, a lot in terms of, like, you know, it's good and bad. It's positive and negative. Like, it's, you have strengths and you have weaknesses, and that's okay. And we don't have to call it a weakness. We could call it things that are more challenging for you. But like, yeah, I think it's super important to recognize that like everybody has that. Everybody has totally. weaknesses. And I think that just understanding that is really important and being able to see like, you know, the things you can work on. I mean, in, in DBT, which is um, dialectical behavioral therapy, and it's like, it's become quite a, um, popular treatment, not just for people who have borderline personality disorder, but for lots of people who struggle with emotion regulation and mindfulness and that kind of stuff. And I was reading the, uh, like the memoir of the woman who created DBT. Her name is Marsha Linehan. And, and she had quite an intense, like adolescence in and out of like mental hospitals and such. And she's like gone on to become this like world renowned researcher and and clinician but anyway she said like you know at some point she just had to like get to this place of radical acceptance of who she is um and who she is and then also like um how do i change the things that i can change that might make my life a little bit easier or whatever and i'm not quoting her correctly but that's sort of the foundation of this like dialectical behavioral therapy. So the dialectic is being able to hold these two like seemingly opposing truths at the mm. same time that like, I fully embrace that this is who I am with all of my strengths and weaknesses. And also I can um, like, I can change these things to make like life run a little more smoothly or like whatever, if I want. You know, and it's sort of like that. Um, I don't even know why I segued into that. But, like, I think it is this idea of, like, you know, be embracing who you are and also, like, sometimes there are things you might want to change. And so, anyway, I think that there's so much we could talk about um, <laughs> with regard to that. And, like, you know, but, like, even that is is such an important concept. And, and um, one of the things about DBT is like when you do that with adolescents, like the parents are involved in that because they're learning the skills of it right along with the kids, which I think is so important because there can be that focus on like something's wrong, something's wrong, we've got to fix it. And like really right. even helping them with the mindset of like, no, nope, yes, nothing's wrong. We just are going to get through this time. Yeah. And so 
super fascinating. But I, but we haven't even like scratched the surface on like, but like we could go on and on about just like the stigma of diagnoses. But I think that like one of the reasons we even decided to talk today was because medication, you know, all of the right. thoughts that people have. And, you know, like I try not to be too critical because you know, we're all sort of like steeped in like the messages we get in our society. And also, um, you know, I think like, I think most people are just doing the best they can. So I try not to nitpick on like people, but there is this idea that like, if you have to go on medication for many people, that that's like, that's a last resort. It's bad. And, you know, there's this way in which people really think about it in that way. And they have a lot of rationalizations for why that's true. Um, you know, I didn't intend to like, infuse something. Well, I'm not going to actually, I was going to say, I didn't intend to say anything about COVID, but I can, <laughs> I can draw some like parallels to vaccines and all kinds of stuff. But like, you know, like I often have parents who have so much reluctance and I get it. Like, you know, you're responsible for making these decisions for your, for another person that could have lasting impact on their lives. But we're always doing that. You feed them a lot of junk with like preservatives and all this other crap, but you don't spend a whole lot of time like, on um, what's the research of, I mean, some parents do. Some parents have gotten very particular about what they'll be their kids, but a lot of people won't, you know, or they'll let them do X, Y, or Z, and they're not so focused on like what the long-term impact of that. And at this point, like, you know, antidepressants in particular, you know, Prozac came out in the 80s, which is like over 40 years ago at this point. So it's not like we don't know what's, what happens with these medications, we actually do. But people really get, you know, very focused on that. Like, you should try all these other things first. And then if that doesn't work, you should go on medication. Last and if resort. you choose not to do that, then, like, that's, like, a less favorable way of going. Is this, yeah. is this hidden message in it. I was able to manage my anxiety without medication. It seems to be almost a badge of honor. And I'm yeah. not saying that, like, people shouldn't do that. There's lots of ways to choose to manage your mood and anxiety. It's just the implication that like doing it without medication is like good. Morally better. <laughs> yes. You're mentally yeah. stronger and that's, yeah, yeah, you're a better person. You're superior. Yeah. Like the choice is better. Yeah. Way. Yeah. And yeah, of course there's always like the parallel to, you know, if you like, have diabetes and you need insulin like are those of us who are not on insulin like superior we don't think that at least most <laughs> maybe there's a few who think my blood is better or whatever but like most people don't think that but somehow with pharmaceuticals it is like yeah, can you be mentally, this mental toughness or mental strength that implies you shouldn't ever use right. pharmaceuticals or it should be a last minute resort or it means, yeah, it means something right. about you if you need. Well, if you're and it's so the message you that if you just work a little bit harder, like you should be able to do this. Which, you know, we could go on and on about that, right? Because that's the message, period, from, like, our society is that if you just work a little harder, you'll be better. And so I think there's that, 
It's like, well, if you just like exercise a lot and like do meditation and this and that, then like you'll be fine or yeah. that would be better. And so it is really this, this notion that you're not trying hard enough. And then if you just do more, like this could be better, it could be solved. And that medication is the easy way out. I have people say that a lot. I don't want my kid to think that they can just take a pill and they'll be better. It's like, but you're okay with them thinking that they could just go exercise and be better. Right. Like, or right? like, like they break that. their arm and like, I don't want them to have the cast because that's right. like an easy way for their bone not to get fucked up. Like no parent would ever say that. Right. But somehow with medication. And I think the other thing that I had like posted about was like in the society, like drinking, consuming alcohol is so celebrated. And, you know, you have your like wine o'clock mug or your like mm -hmm. beer t-shirt, whatever. Mm -hmm. and And even the peer pressure around like, you go out with friends a lot of times we'll be like oh you're not drinking why like are you pregnant like what is there something wrong that you're not drinking and but then pharmaceuticals are are for some people very stigmatized like I would never do that but some you know obviously not everyone who consumes alcohol is self-medicating but sometimes we are we don't feel good and that's why you want to have a couple drinks on a Friday night and take the edge off and yeah, but that's, that's fine because it's more normalized in our society. Right. It's, yeah, it's just interesting that it's like this, this drug, alcohol right. is a drug, right? Right. This but drug is like celebrated. Drinking either. Like you can drink if you want. For those of you listening, I'm not judging people who are drinking. No, no, I drink. Saying... Like I'm not saying that drinking is bad either, but I'm just saying it's interesting that this drug is like, we're super into this drug as a culture and it's super celebrated, mm -hmm. but then these other drugs mm -hmm. are bad or. Yeah. Or I mean, people do weak. the same thing with marijuana and I'll probably get roasted for this, but like, and I don't care because I'm very clear about what I, where I stand on it. And I'm not saying people shouldn't smoke. I don't give a sh crap or shit since we're on Facebook and people smoke pot or not. I just, my point is, the people argue with you because it's like a plant as though like we don't put, we don't consume all plants just because they're plants like that doesn't make it safe or like without risks or without long-term consequences either just because it grows like just because you can grow it like that's ridiculous and so but it's what people want to do and it's it is a, a more socially acceptable thing to do so people have a lot of um I think people have a lot of um, attachment to that being like a thing that's okay, but like something else isn't. And I think that, you know, at least I, I think what you and I are on the same page about and saying is it's not like we're telling people not to do these things. It's just we're telling, we're sort of pointing out the ways in which people don't recognize um, that that they do that I don't want to say them being hypocritical because it sounds so like negative but they are being hypocritical right I just yeah I mean yeah I think with all of these things with alcohol with drugs and pharmaceuticals my, what I, my message is that you get to choose 
-hmm. and you get to, and, and, you know, when I have worked with clients that are considering pharmaceuticals or they're on them and they want to get off them or, you know, whatever, it's like, you get to choose. You can try it. Right. You can try it out and see how it feels and see if are the, do the pros outweigh the con? Like any decision in our life, right? Do I break up with my boyfriend or not? Do I change yeah. careers? Do I, do I go on meds? Like it's all, to me, it's like, there's no one right answer. But if you want to, you can try it out. And you can try one medication. And then if that doesn't work, you can try yeah. something else. And if you don't want, if you feel better exercising and, and that is the solution that works for you, that's amazing. You know, yeah. and if and if Prozac is the solution that works for you, that's also amazing. Like there's no And I think that that's yes. A hundred percent that. It's like whatever you want to do, go do that. And it's not bad or good. One isn't better or worse. It's just what you decide to do. And you're not like a better, more worthy person if you can come off medication or if you come off medication and six months later, you have to go back on medication. That doesn't mean you failed or like you're not doing it right or you didn't do enough while you were off medication. It just is like something that exists. And I think really, like, I love this idea of kind of moving away from the judgment of it all. And right. you don't have to, like, you know, so many, there's so much judgment of, like, if you haven't tried all these other things before you try medication, then that's a problem. And it's not a problem. You could try medication from the beginning or not. Yeah. 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 And, oh, shoot. I'm losing <laughs> I have people who come to me, they're so argumentative about it. And it's like, I'm not, you know, when you came to me, I'm not forcing you to go on medication or not go on medication. Yeah. I'm making this recommendation. I'm giving you some ideas about it. I'm giving you some education. You can do it or not do it. Like, it's not, it's not like, I'm not ever going to force people to take medication or not. And I think that's really like the message is like, this is okay. And if you decide to do it, it's fine. Having a diagnosis is fine. That doesn't mean that like you are broken or damaged. And like the people who don't have a diagnosis are like, like worthy and superior. Like it's all fine. There we go. We distill it down into like one sentence. It's all fine. Yeah. It's all good. (laughs) Yeah. Everyone in their life has some sort of challenge. Every single human, like Oprah, Beyonce, like, you know, they have a challenge too. Mm-hmm. And, and for some of us, it might be mental health related. And that's, that's okay. It's not, you know, it doesn't make us less or more. And I think one thing for me, I have this kind of, you know, over independent personality trait mm-hmm. <laughs> which is like in some it's like in some ways it's like total gift and in some ways it's like a total curse and you know part of my story is I like burnt out when I was like 21 because like I was trying to do everything all by myself um and and I think like it's interesting for me I, I think 
it can, it, I think it definitely has in the past stopped me from even considering medication. Because mm -hmm. I'm like, and it's also the American story of like, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, do it like this individualism, do it yourself and like work hard and you were kind and of- that's the best way. <laughs> yeah, and that's the best way. You were referring to it at the start of this conversation. And so I think in the past, I wouldn't have considered it because I was just like, I have to pull myself up by my bootstraps. And now I'm in a place where I, where I am. And, you know, I, when I posted, I did post on Facebook saying like, I'm considering this and who's had experience and what has your experience been, you know, being on different kinds of medication. And it was amazing. So many people said, you know, this is, this has been my experience and mm -hmm. it was super insightful. And, um, yeah, it, it, the reason that I'm even open to it now is because I am like just open to help <laughs> like yeah. on a bunch of different levels. I'm like, yeah. Oh, I don't have to do everything by myself. Oh, I can get help. Oh, it's okay to do things the easy way. Like yeah. I'm allowed. Right. And I, it's so interesting, like, that you say that, because I, I often think about these, like, ideas that we have, you know, it's like, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, as though that's, like, the better way to do it. But has it, but, like, most people who believe that, have they ever taken a step back and really asked themselves, like, why is that better? Like, why is it better if you, if you get somewhere by yourself versus with help from other people but that's like like it's this idea of being a martyr and how that's celebrated um so much i mean that one came up in the like in that in carl lowenthal's podcast i think it was with susan hyatt where she was saying like this idea for women in particular i think the pull yourself up by your bootstraps is is universal i don't think it's a gendered um right. idea at all but but in general like women are like socialized and rewarded for being martyrs like if we could just do everything by ourselves and get it done then like we are um that like that's the better way to do it and that's the way you should do it and i think that that's just it it's like people are like i don't want my kids to think they can just take a pill and feel better and i get it you don't want your kid to be a drug addict that's fine like i get, I get that 100 percent. i i don't either and so I get where you're, I get sort of like what's infused in that statement, but I think it's also like, you know, this idea that you're bringing your child to a physician or nurse practitioner, whoever you're bringing them to that can write a prescription and um, they're having an evaluation and you're getting them this formalized treatment and it happens to be a medication is not the same as like, they just go out and use street drugs every time they feel bad. Like, I think that it kind of it gets a little bit equated somehow. And it doesn't mm. really, I don't think that they're the same. Maybe other right. people do, but I just, I don't see how that's the same. And I don't think how it's sending, I don't see how it's sending the same message, but that's the fear somehow is that like, they're creating that. Which I could guess, I mean, it's like a little bit of a stretch in my mind, but I can, I could see how I don't want to be like, how could anyone ever think that? But I, I do think, I think it's a stretch. Well, they're really... different drugs, right? Right. Like, it's a different, 
heroin is different <laughs> than Prozac. Yes. Yes. For lots of reasons. For lots yeah. of reasons. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, it's like you don't want your kid to end up on heroin. Right. And, and really Most what that people is, don't. <laughs> I mean, it, really what that is, is like, um, you know, and um, is this idea that like, we don't, we want to send the message that kids should learn how to manage their emotions and like feel, but then we don't let them feel. And so like, you know, that's a whole different podcast live or whatever is this idea that like, you know, your kid will not become, well, we don't know if they'll become a drug addict, but whatever, your, your kid is not, you know, if you can help them learn how to process and, and deal with their emotions and feel, then the likelihood that they will use a buffering agent like street drugs to do that is a lot lower. Right. And so yeah. that's really yeah. the issue. It's not whether your kid ha goes on, you know, psychiatric medication or we had to change their dose because they were having a hard time or whatever. That's not the thing that is creating this idea that you just take a pill and feel better. It's this idea that like they should feel this pressure to feel better. To the be pressure to feel okay time. all the time. Yeah. And that's yeah. the real issue. Yeah. And you know, another thing that I do often with my clients, and I had to go through my own process of doing this, is like, just like, uh, how do I feel? Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, when we say, like, because I used to totally be the classic, like, how are you? I'm fine. Like, mm -hmm. fine's not a feeling. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's not an emotion. Yeah, it's and just a so, knee-jerk response. Yeah, <laughs> most of the time, right? Someone yeah, asks or how are you doing? doing? Good. Like, I guess maybe good could be a feeling. Like sometimes you're feeling really good, you know. But like most of the time, when we answer that, it's not really describing the feeling. And so, yeah, with my clients, sometimes I'm like, okay, well, out of happy, sad, mad, and scared, which one is the most? I love that. And, you know, and, and I had to have someone ask me that and, and slowly start to, oh, okay, this is what happiness feels like, and this is what fear feels like, and this is what, these are the body singles that tell, tell me that I'm angry. And it's like, for me, the thing is like, we can teach this to five-year-olds. I got to, it, I learned it when I was like 28. And, you know, I'm teaching my clients that are all, they're all adults, but it's a whole range of ages. Mostly people in their 30s and 40s. And it's like, we could teach this to five-year-olds. Yeah. <laughs> this could. concept, and, 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 and we could teach this in schools to help kids. And it's interesting even like, watching the Mr. Rogers documentary and realizing he was actually doing that. You know, when you're, if you're angry, you can stomp your feet and he had songs about it. And he was kind of hip to this before a lot of people are, but it's like, I think we should be teaching this in schools. I think it should, we should be teaching, you know, just emo emotional intelligence, yeah. knowing how you're feeling and different ways to work. I agree. I mean, we teach so many things. I think that's a really important 
concept and to allow our kids to have the feelings. I think right now, you know, so many kids don't know. They feel so unanchored when they have intense feelings. They don't know what to do with it. Oh, somehow we're frozen. Oh, wait, you were frozen for a second. Maybe it was me. Yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah, I'm getting ready to do that. I'm getting ready to help my the parents in my group, like, with emotions and just really identifying them. Because so often it's like, how do you feel? And they're like, I feel like this shouldn't be happening. And I'm like, that is totally. It's like, like, that's not a feeling. You know, so it's like, it's like that's yeah. actually a thought that you're having. It's not how you feel. And But it's just reflection of how avoidant we are to really even talking about how I feel. Like, you know, I mean... I think when people ask you how you're doing, like, I just expect you to say good or fine. And it's almost oh, yeah. like if you don't, then it's like, whoa, like I didn't really, I didn't really ask right. for that. You know, it's like, it's just this, 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 that's why I said it's a knee jerk reaction. It's like, how are you? Fine. You know, like, cause that's sort of almost like a, it's like a handshake or something. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's, how it's are just... you doing? I mean, you know, like whatever. Hello, hello back. You know, it's the same yeah. thing. So Anyway, I have to jump off in a second, but I really, we, see, we could talk about this for like hours. Totally. Hours. Totally. Hours. Yeah. And I I'm hope glad... this is helpful to people because it, I think, you know, there's going to be people out there, hopefully who are listening to this that feel like, you know, it's okay for me to like, you know, have a diagnosis or take medication or I don't have to have it be my last resort. Yeah. Um, it's totally yeah. an option and it and you know when you're having a challenge with anxiety or whatever it is like there's a whole bunch of tools and there's a whole bunch of options and like I think what you and I are saying is just like put this on the you know put this on yeah. the pile it's an option it well, doesn't have to be at the bottom you don't right. have to put it at the bottom of the pile there's no hierarchy of options it's they're just options yeah. Okay, like, and then not that some of them are good ones and some of them are bad ones. They just are options that have different, like, risks and benefits. And that's really all it is. So, all right. Well, this was fun. So I fun. Getting I, like, I love getting together with you in these ways. So we should do it yeah. again sometime for sure. Yeah, I love it too. Thank you so much. Yeah, and um, I just wanted to plug, I'm running an advanced somatic techniques workshop mm. for coaches and therapists and healers. Um, so if you are someone who works with clients, like I'm talking to the people listening, and uh, you want to kind of increase your somatic tool belt, um, it's happening next Saturday. So I'll, I'll put a link in the comments or something of That's where good. people can find out more, but it is going to be about kind of emotional processing and also other somatic techniques. Love it. As well. I'm so, sure it'll be great. <laughs> yeah. I'm excited. For All that. right, Grin. Happy Friday. Have a happy Friday. Thank you so much for awesome. coming on. And yeah, this was, this was such a good conversation. My clients have fallen in love, landed her dream professor job, and signed clients seemingly out of nowhere. So if you resonated with this episode and you want to go deep on working on your sacred goal, I want to offer you a free sacred decision-making session. 
In this session, we'll discuss your goal, what might be getting in the way, and whether working together longer term is what is going to help you achieve it. To sign up, check out the link in the show notes or email me at brin at brinbamber.com.